We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I would like you to look at Mark chapter 14 with me. This is something you don't really have to preach on. You just give the blow-by-blow description. I'm going to show you what happened in the six trials of Jesus Christ. Three religious trials, three civil trials. Three before the Sanhedrin, two before Pilate, and one before Herod. Found innocent six times and then was condemned. Not for a crime, but for who he said he was. And so, you just stay with me here. In chapter 14, in verse 41, you see the end of Gethsemane. He came a third time and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. In the Gospels, when it says the hour has come, it's talking about the cross. Seven times in the Gospel of John, it is said his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come until chapter uh, 17. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. You know, the liberal view of Christ is that his purpose was being a good example for us in the whole of his life. In the Bible, the whole of his perfect life all comes down to one point, and that is Calvary, where a perfect sacrifice could die for us. And so the hour of his death has come. And he said, behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed. The Bible is careful to let us know that Jesus is never surprised. He is never disappointed. He knows what is happening before it occurs. It gives you no kind of idea that somehow, if he had been sharper and more presence of mind, he would have gotten out of Calvary. It doesn't give you that idea that he is David running to the battle line to meet Goliath. And so he knows they are coming to arrest me because they've been betrayed and I've been betrayed by Judas and he's going to betray me with a kiss. And he will say, Judas, will you betray the son of man with a kiss? I know everything that is happening. He said, get up and let us be going. The one who betrays me is at hand. And in verse 43, immediately while he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up and accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs. This is a, the Jewish temple police and a Roman cohort, which is 300 men. And so this is a mob that comes up and they come because of riot control. It's like whenever we have a guy tried at a national level and we're not sure what's going to happen, that you have riot teams ready. Well, they were ready for a riot to occur which will defeat the entire purpose. And so here come the, those with the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he who was betraying him had given them a signal, whomever I kiss, Judas is deceiving to the very end. He is the one, sees him and lead him away under guard. And after coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. And lay, they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Y'all remember who did that? Peter. Uh, the gospel of Mark, Peter calls Mark, my son, Mark. 
he probably let Mark know a lot about the life of Jesus. It's interesting that in this particular gospel, Peter's name is not mentioned because <laughs> he didn't want to put his name down as a guy that did that. Peter is a guy that isn't afraid to fight as long as he thinks that it's a fight. But once he sees that this is a silent savior who will be led like a lamb dumb to the slaughter, Peter will have a problem. Just like men, all of you men, you have no problem uh, having to fight for the cause. The problem is the idea of turning the other cheek and not fighting and trusting completely in God. I run out of cheeks real quick. You know what I'm saying? And so most men can fight, but what they can't do is stand by silent and suffer according to the will of God. But Jesus does. And Peter draws his sword and he cut off the high priest's servant, cut off his, the book of John says, his right ear. This is kind of ironic. We have two priests that are meeting, Caiaphas and Jesus, out of the priest of the law and the priest of grace. They both have two servants, Simon Peter for Jesus and a guy named Malchus, M-A-L-C-H-U-S, of Caiaphas. So we have two servants and two high priests meeting. Uh, Caiaphas and his servant represent the nation of Israel in law. Whenever you become a high priest or a priest, the ceremony that you go through is they anoint your right ear, your right thumb, and your right foot, the big toe on your right foot, to show that you walk with, serve with, and listen to God. Because that's what you have to be to be a minister. You have to listen to God. And then you act, and then you walk in his path. And if you have a physical deformity, according to the law, you're not allowed to be a priest. You have to be of perfect visage. Well, when... Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. If you are Jewish, that says a lot. You immediately disqualified him from the priesthood because he no longer can hear God. And as a result, he cannot work for God and he cannot walk with God. Many feel, and I think rightly so, that this is a great picture of the Jewish nation. That in their rejection of Christ, the nation of Israel is called a holy nation and a royal priesthood. That's in Exodus 19. They are the one nation that represents truly the true God. Amen. Salvation is of the Jew. But in their rejection of the apex of the Old Testament revelation, the Messiah, they ended up disfigured as a high priest. They no longer can hear God. They no longer can serve God. They no longer can walk with God as they should. It has now been transferred from Israel to Peter, the head of the 12 and the church. And that's why often in the New Testament, Peter, Paul, and John take that verse in Exodus 19. You're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And all three of them apply that to you and to me. 
Are our ears open to God? Yes. Can we now work for God and serve God truly? Yes, we can. And so you're having here a changing of the guard. And Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. Meaning, why do you come and arrest me as a criminal? I've done nothing in secret. You've seen me teach in the temple. You're basically arresting not a criminal, but a Sunday school teacher. You saw me every day. I did nothing behind the scenes. I did nothing with any seditionist idea. So why now do you come and arrest me? He says, you've done this to fulfill the scriptures. Isaiah 53 says of Messiah, in oppression and judgment, he will be taken away. That his arrest was a thing of oppression and it was a thing of predetermined judgment. We're going to try you three times and then we're going to present you before Pilate guilty. Even though we haven't tried you, you're going to be guilty and Pilate will put you to death. It's kind of like the great Christian movie Silverado. Where Brian, what's his name? Dennehy, the bad guy. He says to, to, I think it's Danny Glover, we're going to give you a first class trial and then a first class hanging. He was led away in oppression with judgment. It's a kangaroo court. And so Christ says, this has happened because it is biblical. Is it possible to be in the worst possible situation of your life and to know that you are within the will of God? That's the way it is with Jesus. I wish I was like this. I find myself crying out unjust whenever I miss my turn in a revolving door. You know what I'm saying? God, how could you do this to me? Christ is in the worst situation and he says God is in total control. Well, they all left him and fled. Incidentally, it tells us in John how this happened. Jesus said, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am whom you seek. What does the name Yahweh mean? I am. He announces the divine name. I am. And it says in John, the soldiers draw back and fall to the ground. In anticipation of what will happen someday, when Christ appears from heaven with a name on his name that no one knows but he, the name being the Word of God. And when he appears, every what? Knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Men will draw back. And so this is in anticipation of what will happen someday. And so John, the authors of the Gospels, are careful to let us know this is not a poor Jewish fellow that fell in among the wheels of intrigue. This is an innocent divine person who is giving his life and God is using the system as a carpenter will use a hammer and a nail to enact his purpose. God is in total control here. A young man in verse 51 was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body and they seized him. This only occurs in the Gospel of Mark. 
He pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped. Who the man was, was John Mark. The Last Supper, it is believed, is in the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Possibly when they went to find where they would have the Passover at, they said, you'll find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Many feel that that was John Mark. And he is the waiter at the Last Supper. And when they all leave, he stays there and they head off to the Garden of Gethsemane. He puts on a linen shroud there in the cool of the night and he goes to bed. Uh, all of a sudden, a cohort shows up with Judas at the last place they remember Christ in the upper room. Where is he? Well, I believe, and Judas says, I know where he is. He's at Gethsemane. John, or rather John Mark, takes his linen shroud, pulls it about him, and goes after them. After the arrest, he is seen as a witness, and they reach out to grab him. Everybody else has fled, but here is a man that knows this is an illegal arrest. And so he's like the uh, body cam is who this guy is. And so they grab him, they pull off the linen shroud. Now this is significant. Whenever at uh, the day of atonement, the goat was killed and his blood taken before the presence of God, there was also a goat that you laid hands on, the high priest did, and he pronounced over the goat the sins of the nation. And then he took something and he laid it upon the goat. And what belonged to the nation is now symbolically in the hands of what represents the nation, the priest, laid upon the goat. And the goat is led to the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem and disappears into the wilderness. And thus you have kind of a paper mache teaching that sacrifice will be made to the wrath of God for the nation by the goat that died. And your sins will be removed from you as the east is from the west. And so Jesus fulfills the Yom Kippur goat and he fulfills, we have a name for him, that you escape and it's called the scapegoat. And so he fulfills the scapegoat and a shroud is placed over him as he is now taken away. They used to say that there was always a fear that the scapegoat would you'd be led to the outskirts of the city. And then later on, his homing device would go off and he would come back into the city and you'd look up and your sins came back on you. Well, that doesn't happen here. Our sins are removed as the east is from the west. Amen. They've been paid for. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. Well, uh, in verse 53, it doesn't, it, something happens between the word naked and the word they led him to the high priest that only John records. They took Jesus to the Don Corleone, the godfather of Jewish justice. He is the former high priest of the Sanhedrin and I believe 29 BC, he was deposed. The Romans deposed him and all the priests after him in some sense were related to him, from him, or married into his family. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. 
And so the priest's name is Annas, and they take him to the Godfather to officially put his stamp that the Jewish high priest regards this man as guilty. Only John records this. Keep your finger right there in Mark, and then go to your right to John chapter, I believe it's 18. Only John records this. And John 18, um, it says in verse 13, they led him to Annas first, father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was priest that year. And in verse 19, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Who are these men that you have collected about you? Are any of them Pharisees? No. Sanhedrinists? No. Sadducees? No. These are tax collectors and fishermen that you have collected about you and about his teaching. What are you saying that we have not said? Why do we look up and say the whole world has gone after him? What are you teaching these people? Jesus in verse 20 says, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I spoke to them. It's illegal to try a man at night. Jesus said, why do you question me? I have done nothing illegal, parentheses, like you have. I have done everything in the open, parentheses, unlike you have. I did everything in the daylight, parentheses, unlike you. So why don't you ask any of the people who heard me, pull out all of the tapes, get all of my email. I just threw that in just to relate to the modern audience. He says, check the emails. You'll find not one spot on anything that I said. Well, in verse 27, when he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck him. That is illegal also. You cannot lay a hand on a man under, uh, under the jurisprudence cycle until he is guilty. And so the officer struck him and Jesus responded, is that, he said, is that the way you answer the high priest? Because he could tell you imputed guilt to the high priest. You've got the prisoner judging the court. Verse 23, if I've spoken wrongly, then testify of the wrong. So you did wrong by striking me for the truth. And secondly, if rightly, why do you strike me? That is beyond law to lay a hand on me. And so you guys are guilty of about four things before we ever begin. Never try to, to try a man who is the word of God, okay? And so verse 24, it is now Jesus one, Sanhedrin nothing. And they send him now to Caiaphas, the high priest. So go back here to Mark chapter 14. And in verse 53, they led Jesus away to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. There are two missing. Anybody know who they are? Two Sanhedrinists are not there because they will not be numbered among this, this illegal trial at night. One is named Nicodemus, the other is named Joseph of Arimathea. And so... Uh, they led him away to where they had gathered together. 
Peter followed at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest of Caiaphas. And he's sitting with the officers, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus. That is illegal. Whenever you watch the Christian show, Perry Mason, okay, that you will see him stand and say, Your Honor, I object. He's leading the witness. You could not bring a man to testify against himself. Well, they're trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any. Israel cannot execute. They, can, they stone uh, with great improvisation, as with Stephen. But they cannot have an official execution. Only Rome can do that. And the Jews want Rome to put him to death because they want him placed on a cross. The book of Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so they have to get Jesus in the middle of the night through two trials. One at about nine o'clock at night and then early the next morning, they'll have another perfunctory trial. And then they will have two trials that convict him, hopefully of sedition. They can't convict him of claiming to be the son of God because Rome doesn't care. They have to convict him of leading an uprising against the nation. And then they're going to get him to Pilate first thing in the morning. And hopefully they will push Pilate into a quick decision. Pilate is not in good standing with Caesar because an event took place a little bit earlier where the Jews had placed in, on the Temple Mount the insignias of Rome. The Jews gathered at the fortress of Antonia and said, if you don't re remove these, we will fight you till the death and we will all die. Pilate was embarrassed at having to kill an entire race. And so he backed up, took the insignias out and lost his position before Caesar. It was called the friend of Caesar, and he lost it. And Israel knows that. And so they are playing the system. We're going to find him guilty twice of sedition. And then we're going to get him on a kangaroo court before Pilate at 6 a.m. Before anybody gets up. And he will rubber stamp him, and we will get him on the cross before anybody awakes. And when they all get up in the morning, they will look and see their king hanging on a cross. Well, they're trying to obtain testimony, meaning sedition. And not finding any. For many were giving false testimony. That's illegal to bring in false witnesses that's blood money. It's illegal. And so their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him saying, we heard him say, destroy this temple made with hands and in three days I'll build another one made without hands. Jesus didn't say that. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up, meaning the temple of his body. That's not a seditionist statement. They twisted it. I will destroy this temple the Jewish temple, and then I'm going to build a new one and the Jews are going to take over. And so, verse 59, not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest therefore stood up 
That's illegal. The judge can't influence the court. The job of a judge is to be the umpire for both sides. That's why he's dressed in black. He doesn't take sides. We're going to lead us right through jurisprudence. If the judge ever stops and speaks, that the case can be thrown out. Well, Caiaphas sees we're about to lose the set, but we won't lose the match. He may be found innocent of sedition, but I'm going to accuse him of something that he can't get out of. And we will now hold him in our dungeon. It's called Caiaphas's dungeon. We'll hold him there overnight. And then we'll get him before the Jewish Sanhedrin at early in the morning. And we'll get him to Pilate and we'll push him politically. And so uh, the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus saying, do you not answer? What is it these men are testifying against you? Why didn't Jesus answer the charge of sedition? Because he's not going to let it be seen as if he was contending and competing for his innocence. No one will say at the end of this trial, Jesus went to the cross because Jesus lost the argument. No one will say that. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. So I'm not going to resist the arrest. I'm not going to resist the slap. I'm not going to resist the infractions of jurisprudence. There are, I believe, 23 of them. And I'm not going to intervene in uh, this charge of sedition. Go ask everybody that heard me. I'm on record. And so the high priest, incidentally, was there another guy in the Old Testament that you could not find in him uh, a lack of uh, fidelity to his job or corruption? You can't find anything in him. You remember Daniel? Uh, Joseph is accused three times for what he did not do. And he comes up glowing. And so this is the ultimate outworking of the innocent man who is hated, but rises up because you can't keep his innocence silent. And so the high priest said, what are these men are testifying against you? Do you not answer? He kept silent. And the high priest was questioning and said, all sedition aside, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? That's not sedition. That's a Jewish claim of deity. Are you claiming to be the son of the living God? To this, Christ must answer. He said, what's the first two words of his reaction? I am. What's I am mean in Hebrew? Jehovah, Yahweh. It's his claim of deity. I am. Moses to God, who shall I say sent me? Tell them Yahweh sent you. I am was, I am, and I will be. The words all combined, I am. I don't change, I'm God. I am. And now he combines Psalm 110 with Daniel 7 into one verse. If you were on trial for your life, surrounded by your enemies, would your knowledge of scripture memory work well? You might not know your own name. Jesus takes Psalm 110 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Daniel 7, that the Son of Man came to the Father and appeared in the clouds of glory to return to earth. He takes that psalm about the first coming of Christ, sit at my right hand. He will die, rise, ascend, and sit down in God's hand. And then Daniel 7, where he returns, he takes the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, his coming to die, his coming to rule, and he brings them together into one verse in which you have the entire ministry of Christ. Did you know that? High priests don't sit because they're always having to sacrifice. Jesus sits. Why? The sacrifice is over. The ultimate sacrifice is made. And he sits at God's right hand because his sacrifice will be followed by his resurrection, his ascension, and he will sit at God's right hand and carry out the purposes of God, which will be our salvation of the church. And then he will return at uh, coming with the clouds of heaven. So you get the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, his coming, his death, his resurrection, ascension, session at God's right hand, gathering of the elect, and his second coming to judge. Not bad to put that in one sentence while everybody is watching you to kill you. So, verse 63, tearing his clothes, that's illegal. The high priest could not tear his robes because he is now entering into the judgment. It would be like a judge standing up, unzipping his robe, taking it off and slamming it down and saying, I'm tired of this farce. Now the case is thrown out. He tears his robes and the high priest said, what further need have we of witnesses? That is illegal. He cannot influence the judgment. You've heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? We're not gonna have a vote. Everybody is gonna be called to respond emotionally. That is illegal. As a matter of fact, there was a fellow years ago named Rabbi Wise, I believe it was Nathan Wise, who wrote a uh, paper about how the, the trial of Jesus Christ could not be historically true because there were too many infractions of justice. And there were. If you're Jewish reading this, you're shaking your head. This could only be done at 10 o'clock at night. And so, uh, in verse 64, you've heard the blasphemy. Caiaphas has to have a reason to hold Jesus overnight to get him before Pilate, and so it's going to be blasphemy. And they all condemned him to be deserving of death, and some began to spit at him, disrespect, to blindfold him and beat him with their fist and say, prophesy. Let me tell you something. In Isaiah 11, it says about Messiah, he will not judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. His justice will be beneath the surface and he will see the true nature of things. He is the ultimate judge. Uh, as Sheol lays open before the eyes of God, how much more the hearts of men. He will be the perfect judge. And so there was a legend that Messiah would not judge by what he saw, that he would judge by what he not heard, but he would judge by smell. That he could sense evil immediately. And so whenever they blindfold him and then slap him and say, prophesy who hits you, that is calling that tradition into mind that you're supposed to be able to judge what you can never see. And so they hit him and say, I dare you, who am I? If you were Christ, 
what would you do? I think I would consume the entire hemisphere all of a sudden. But he doesn't. They're poking the lion, trying to get him to move. Well, Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself. Sometimes when you want to not be noticed, you just get among the bad guys. Okay. You were with Jesus the Nazarene. He denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. I have no understanding about anybody named Jesus. The servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. He denied it. After a little while, the bystanders were saying to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. The men of Galilee had a particular dialect. It's like when you meet somebody and say, where are you from? Well, I tell you, I just, uh, I know I'm not born around here. You know, that's Amarillo I'm talking to you. Right? <laughs> and so they listened to Peter and the girl says, you're from Galilee. You're one of them. He began to curse, meaning, you think my language gives me away? Listen to this. And he cursed. When I was at Dallas Seminary, I had a professor named Lewis Johnson. And I remember him saying at this point, you have to remember, he was from South Carolina, Lewis Johnson. You have to remember, my friends, that Peter is a sailor. And one thing sailors know how to do is to curse like a sailor. And so Peter did not say, ding, bust it, I'm not him. He said, damn it, I don't know the man. And so he, Peter imitates a pagan. And as soon as he does, the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus made the remark, before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he began to weep. For the rest of his life, when Peter would wake up, he would hear, cock a doodle doo, and he'd go, oh, heck. It's a reminder. Paul never forgot that he was the chief of sinners. Peter never forgot that he denied him. If God's going to use a man or a woman in leadership, he can't use them until he hurts them. He's got to break them. Did it with David, did it with Moses, did it with Elijah, and he does it with Peter. Incidentally, this is why in the Reformation, after the 30 years war of Catholics against Protestants, that a Protestant in Europe, when he built his barn, he would put a weather vane on the top of it. You know what the weather vane was? It was a rooster. Because he was saying, this is Peter. He was making an announcement to the Catholics. This is your Pope. Any way the wind blows, the rooster will turn. Ain't that something? So you didn't know. I got a rooster on my barn. I wasn't thinking about the Reformation when I did. And so Peter began to weep. You know what Luke says? That when the cock crowed, Peter looked up and somebody turned and looked at him. Who was the somebody that turned? Jesus. All Christ had to do is look at him. And just the look, I think there was a look of love, a look of concern. It would have been the same as with 
Martha, Martha, Martha. He just looked at Peter. And in the eyes of love and grace, Peter began to weep. That's the difference between the elect of God and a pagan. A pagan doesn't weep over his sin. Christians sin. Have y'all discovered that yet? Give me a good hearty amen. Yes. Especially Christians' mates in marriage. Give me a hearty amen. Yes. We sin. We're not sinless, but we sin less and we feel worse. And so Peter weeps. And my pagan days, I could tell you stuff that would curl your hair about what I did. And I never cried about it. I never repented. I never confessed it. I didn't want to get caught. But I never, ever repented. After I became a Christian, I felt now like I was AWOL when I did it. And so Peter weeps. Now, between verse, the end of verse 14 and chapter 15, 15 says, early in the morning. Well, no gospel records it, but Jesus had to be held from about 11 o'clock to five o'clock the next morning. At the, there is a place in Israel called the church of Galicantu, the church of the rooster's crowing. What's chicken in uh, Spanish? Isn't it gallina? See, it's gallina? Pollo? Forget the me. Forget the me. Okay. But anyway, what's a gallina? Somewhere there's a gallina. Is that a rooster? Like I say, it's rooster, not chicken. You knew that. Cantu? Like Canticleer? The Chanticleer? The rooster crowing. And you see where Caiaphas did the judging. They took it to his home. And there is in that home a dungeon, a hole in the ground where they lower you. And we stood there about a week ago and you cannot see the bottom that they lowered him like Jonah into the whale. He gets lowered. What went on that night? We don't know. But like Joseph, like uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Paul, Peter later on, Jesus is alone in the dark, beaten for doing the right thing. Can this happen to us? Yeah. For thy sake, we are being put to death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The guy who said in the Old Testament, salvation is of the Lord, said it from the inside of a fish. Jonah. And so we don't know what went on. This, the Bible goes silent, but Christ is lowered into a hole. And early in the morning, the chief priest and the elders, the scribes, and the whole council immediately held a consultation binding Jesus and they led him away. Only Luke records this trial. Now, so far, what do we have? Jesus to Sanhedrin, nothing. If you'll look at Luke 
22, I believe it is, just real quickly. Go to your right. And if you'll see Luke 22 in verse 66. And when it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes. They all get up early while Jerusalem is sleeping. They all got their coffee. They all come together and the priest gets up and says, once again, if you're the Christ, tell us. He said, if I tell you, you won't believe. Your heart is made up. If I ask a question, you're not going to answer. But from now on, here's what's about to happen. The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of power. I am the Son of Man, and I am about to die. But then I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to ascend to the right hand of God, and I'm going to carry out the divine will. And in verse 70, are you the Son of God? Yes. What's the last two words? I am. And they said, what further need have we of testimony? We've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And that is illegal. You cannot convict a man on his own testimony. And they did it. And so now they lead him into the presence of the judge of Jerusalem, who is a Roman. And they need this judge to execute him. Who's the judge? Pontius Pilate. The Apostles' Creed, he suffered before Pontius Pilate. And so take a look at John 18. Only, and John records this the most succinctly. In verse 28, they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, the governor's official residence. It's on the Temple Mount where he could always be watching what the Jews are doing. It's also called the Fortress of Antonia. It ain't there today. And so they, it was early. So Jerusalem is sleeping. And so Pilate, get up, get up, get up. He knows what's happening. Do you remember that it says in Matthew that during the night, Pilate's wife was tormented by a dream. And she woke her husband and she said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. She said to her husband, this is a fix. This is a kangaroo court. They're using you as an executioner, not a judge. Have nothing to do because you and I both know, dear. Poncho, that was what his wife would call him. You know, Poncho that this man is innocent. You know it and I know it. Yes, dear, but if I have a riot breakout and I have to start killing people, now I'm really in a peck of trouble. So she was troubled in a dream. This is a righteous man. And Pilate knows when the alarm goes off, I've got to get up and I'm going to be faced with a decision. Truth or career? Can that ever happen? Truth or career? 
It is said that Mel Gibson said to Jim Caviezel before he did his movie, The Passion of the Christ, if I were you, I wouldn't do this because you're going to get blacklisted. And so he has to choose truth or career. I'll go with truth. And so they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium early. They themselves didn't enter the Praetorium that they would be, not be defiled because it's a Gentile place. Christ, then Pilate went out to meet him. What accusation do you bring against this man? They said, now what should be the answer? We have no accusation. He's innocent. But he did claim to be the son of God to which Rome does not care. They said, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. And Pilate said in Latin, he said, I was born at night, but not last night. <laughs> Mama Pilate didn't raise no fool. I see what's going on here. You want me to be an executioner? No. And his wife is going, go punch, go punch. Okay. That's in the Apocrypha. Okay. <laughs> so Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. They said, we can't. We're not, we're not allowed to put men to death. Meaning we already found him guilty. To fulfill the word which Jesus spoke, signifying what kind of death he was to die. Jesus said, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what is the death he's saying he will die? Death on a tree. And so, no, you're not going to be able to stone me, Israel. I'm going to be raised up like the serpent on the staff. Remember that? The serpent's bit Israel, whoever looked to the cross at the one made in the likeness of the sin was healed. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent that whoever looked at him was healed, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so, Pilate is saying exactly what God scripted him to say. And in verse 32, signifying the death by which he would die. Well, at this point, you'll have to trust me here, but in the Gospel of Luke, Pilate is about to dismiss the case. This man has done nothing worthy of death. He claimed to be the son of God. I don't care if you claim to be the son of God. Just don't lead a sedition. They chimed in in Luke 23 and they said, he stirs up the multitude. And Pilate stopped. What? He stirs up the multitude beginning from Galilee all the way down here. He's leading a, 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 an insurrection. Pilate couldn't pass that by. You say Galilee? Yes. Well, that's real good because I'm in Judea. I have no rule over Galilee. But the guy who does is my dear buddy, Herod. And so take him down the road for uh, Passover because Herod is there. Herod Philip is there. Herod's son. Take him. He'll judge him. Thank you. Arrivederci. Chile con carne. <laughs> Whew. I escaped that. Let's go watch CNN. So he's done. Luke 23, they take Jesus to Pilate. I'm sorry, to Herod. Herod isn't about to go beyond Pilate and execute him. He wants Jesus to do a miracle. 
Do something. Jesus won't speak. He is not going to be insulted like this. He won't speak. And so they make fun of him. They put a purple robe on him. They mock him. And then they lead him back to Pontius Pilate. Pilate is having his second cup. And he looks up and goes, oh, no. Now, so far, it is Jesus five and his oppressors nothing. He's been tried five times. Three religious, two civil, and been found innocent of sedition five times. So he looks up and Pilate here sees him come back again. And so now in verse 33, uh, it doesn't record it here, but in Luke, Pilate says, I have tried him and found nothing worthy of death. Herod has tried him and found nothing of death. And so I'm going to let him go. And there begins this Pharisee-led riot begin. And so he stops and he says in 33, he entered into the praetorium and he summoned Jesus. Are you the king? Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Which simply means, uh, if you're asking this question on your own initiative, you want to know if I'm a rebel. But did others tell you about me? It means this came from the Jews. Are you really the Messiah? So are you asking me, am I the Messiah? Or are you asking me, am I leading a rebellion? Well, Pilate responds in verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? Meaning, I have no cares if you're the Messiah. That's the language of your people. But your own nation delivered you up. What have you done? Let's separate church and state. I want to know if you've led a sedition against Rome, because that is illegal, my friend. Jesus said in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would be fighting and I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Ah, so you say correctly, I am a king. For this, Jesus said, I have been born. I'm born a king. And for this, I have come into the world. Now this is Kendall's birthday. Okay. This is the day Kendall was born. But Kendall will not say, this is the day that I was sent into the world then we'd have to stone him. See, he's claiming I was not just born. I had a previous existence that God so loved the world that he gave a son. And so Jesus said, no, I am a king, but it's not of this world. Someday will he return? Yes, he will. For right now, it is not of this world. He is gathering subjects to God. And he said, for this reason, I've come into the world to testify of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said in 38, ah, oh, what is truth? He said, wait a minute. You're getting beyond politics into philosophy. What is truth? We're not going to talk about that. And so he went out again to the Jews and said, and it's an official proclamation in Latin, non facise videtur. In him I find no guilt. What should he do? I'm going to dismiss this man. If you want to do what you do, do what you do. But he is not a threat to Rome.
Verse 38, I find no guilt, and an outcry goes up. And so in verse 39, to try to preserve his career, he says, you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Should I release for you the king of the Jews, or should I release for you Barabbas? And they cried out, give us Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty, absolutely, of what Jesus was accused of falsely. So what should the tribe say? They should say, give us Christ who is innocent and put this rebel to death. But Pilate does this knowing that they delivered up Jesus out of envy, it says. And so he just holds it up to them. You're really not seeking justice. Well, they said in verse 40, not this man, but Barabbas. And so in verse 19 down through verse 5, Pilate tries another plea. First, he sent him to Herod. Didn't work. Then he has tried to release for them a criminal, and that didn't work. And so now he will make a mockery of Jesus and has him scourged. A Jew could receive 39 lashes. These are Romans. They beat him until they humiliated him. They took his back off, essentially. And... He brings Jesus out with a crown of thorns. He brings him out with a purple robe. They had taken um, a reed and beat it into his head. He is bleeding all over. He will not be able to stand. And he says in verse 5, behold the man. That's who you're afraid of. He is no threat to Rome. They, the chief priest and the officers saw him. They cried out, crucify him. Pilate said, take him for yourselves and crucify him. I, non facise virator, I find no guilt in him. And a guy said in verse seven what he shouldn't have said. I'll assure you when he said it, an older Jew slapped him. This is what we're trying to keep quiet. The Jew answered, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he said he is the son of God. Pilate heard that statement and was even more afraid because he's thinking, do I have Apollos before me? Is this Mercury? Is this, who is this? I've never seen a man like this. And so he takes him back into the praetorium. I love this. And verse 9, he enters into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? If anybody's a painter, paint it. You'll make some money. Of Pilate looking into his bleeding eyes and saying, where are you from? Are you a god? Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said, don't you... You don't speak to me. Don't you know I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus said, you would have no authority unless it had been given to you from above. My father, God, made you a ruler. And Pilate says in verse, uh, or verse 12, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. I may be harming a deity. And it scared him. And so in verse 11, uh, or rather verse 12, he made efforts to release him. And the Jews said, no, if you release this man, you are no, what are the next three words? Friend of Caesar. 
Pilate is now facing politics or truth, career or truth. And as a result of this, he made efforts to release him. If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. So he comes in verse 13 to the judgment seat and he says, behold your king. That's your king, this bleeding individual. They said in 15, away with him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. And at this point, Pilate washes his hands. Let it be known, I find no guilt in this man. And the Jews cried out, his blood be on us and our children. And the veil comes down. Jesus 6, Sanhedrin 0. And now he is being led away to be killed. And before he leaves, Pilate has one last parting shot. You would always put a man's crime above him on a cross. Pilate says, write it down. What? He didn't do anything. Write down, king of the Jews. That is why he's being killed. Because he claims to be the divine king. Put that on the cross. And the Jews said, right, he said he was king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. You crucified a divine man. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we wonder why this happened. And we know why. We sing it this time all year. Have yourself a very Merry Christmas. Let your heart be gay. From now on, your troubles will be far away. And that's why you did it for us. God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power ere we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. We're reading, Father, of what should have happened to us. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. But we sit in innocence because of him. We have no words. We have no songs. We can do nothing but be raised from the dead forever to join together to bless your name. In Christ's name we pray, amen.